0: Listening to First Church Charlotte. So we are reading John chapter number 18. Stand with me. John chapter number 18, we will read at verse number 1. It's great to see you all in the house of the Lord on this beautiful and rainy Sunday morning. You might as well enjoy it. It's raining anyway, Uh, but it is dry in here and plenty warm. And so we're glad you're here. Verse one, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the book, the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. and Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops, and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? Now, hop down with me for time's sake to verse number 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath, shall I not drink the cup which my Father has given me? This story is told to us in all four Gospels, and there is little details that come through in various tellings of it. At this moment, if you read in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says this to Peter after having told him to put away his sword. He said, if you live by the sword, you're gonna die by the sword, and so I'm preaching for a little while today from this subject: living by the sword. Before you're seated, uh, smile at your neighbor and say this to them: winning isn't enough. It matters how we win. It matters how how we win. I, I love this story of Peter's best effort. I love the fact that the Bible does not hide the errors of good men and women from us, but it shows us the errors of good men and women. Um, if the scripture hid those errors, we wouldn't feel like we had a place. But, but, since, but because we see the errors of good men and women, it just might be the case that there's room for us to I got a better amen from this side of the church than I did this side of the church. That means on this side of the church, you'll have a little bit more struggles with pride and arrogance than the people on this side of the church. And so I'll say it over here. Uh, We all have a place in the kingdom of God because God uses flawed people. Can I have a big amen? And so this is an error that Peter makes. Peter is a character type that gives us a lot of teaching examples in the scriptures errors that he makes usually well intentioned but nonetheless errors and he at this moment is going to give us a teachable moment that is so important i want to remind you that jesus earlier had told the disciples to buy swords he had told them to. You can read the passage. I believe that's in the, uh, told to us in the Gospel of Matthew specifically. Uh, he had told them to buy swords, and so they bought some. They weren't all armed. They, they had two swords, and Jesus says this to them in the passage. He says, oh, that's enough. You have a couple swords. It's almost as though the Lord has set them up for a very important lesson. And he doesn't need them all to be armed for them to learn this lesson. He just needs there to be a sword there that he can use as a teaching moment on how the kingdom of God is not going to progress. And conversely, how the kingdom of God is going to to progress. Uh, If you really want somebody to learn something, you don't just show them the positive. You also define the negative. We are aiming toward this. But just to be clear, under no circumstance will we do that. Do you see? Uh, so if you ever look at this story and you t- seek to learn from it and grow from it, uh, there's, there's two basic ways uh, that you can see it. The first is a lesson of nonviolence. Uh, we cannot accomplish in the spirit anything worthwhile through carnal or fleshly violence. This is not a violent kingdom. Right. It, There has been times in church history where various church leaders have aggregated to themselves. They've gathered uh, military power. And it always ends in a disaster and a spiritual shame. I said a spiritual shame. This is not a kingdom that progresses by violence. And so that lesson is clear. It might have been that if Jesus had not been so clear, there would have been some element that thought that, Uh, this gospel could be best adopted by the zealots of the Roman tradition. But Jesus, by making such a clear point early, he shows that this is not going to progress by, by the sword. This is not a kingdom of uh, worldly violence. It is a kingdom of spiritual struggle, spiritual warfare, and in some cases, spiritual violence, but not fleshly violence. We war against principalities and powers, but we do not war against our neighbor. Amen. Can I have a better amen than that? That's the first lesson to learn. The second lesson to learn from this story, uh, having seen how it can be uh, illustrative of the wrong way to pursue this kingdom of heaven, violence. It also becomes, and this is how I want to present it to you today, it becomes a teaching moment, a beautiful teaching moment um, of how... Frustration makes our circumstances worse, not better. Uh, Peter, let's, let's try for a moment to get into Peter's mind because I want you to see just how effective frustration is at causing good people to lose their way you see I'm teaching and preaching to some good people here today and you've been frustrated about some things for a very long time and you if you're honest with yourself if you having spent time in prayer and reflection you have you have set yourself to a point of spiritual perception you can admit to yourself just how damaging frustration has been in spiritual productivity and I am preaching to you today I want to open your understanding and I want to give you a path to walk. Frustration is one of the most effective weapons that the enemy brings against believing a people. The enemy does not defeat the church through power. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. The forces of the enemy do not defeat the church through power or through authority. At the name of Jesus, uh, all the demons must bow down or flee or be banished. Uh, get thee behind me, Satan, thou An offense to me in Jesus' name. Do you see? It's not through efforts. Uh, of authority or power that the enemy wars against us. The war, the enemy wars against us through our nature and through our character. Let me say it again. The enemy wars against you through your nature and through your character. It is of our nature that sins work against us and sins limit us from spiritual uh, attainment and spiritual mission. It is through our character character whereby we grow fearful when we should be bold and we grow doubtful when we should be sure the attacks of the enemy are not through authority or power it is through our nature and it is through our character in this moment the character of Peter is going to be tested his understanding is going to be tested and I I've lived long enough to know that sitting here today there's a fair number of folks who you have spent so much time frustrated you've given up on your calling you've spent so much time frustrated that you've wondered about your effectiveness and you if you were honest with yourself would confess that it's not too uh, far of a step for you to argue against what God said you can do because of your experience of frustration Peter is going to show us and we are going to learn. So real quick, just put ourselves in in Peter's uh, mindset. For for about six months, Jesus has been telling them he's going to Jerusalem and he is going to suffer many things at the hands of the chief priests and elders, and he is going to be crucified. They are not excited about this. Peter even tries to correct the Lord and save Jesus, you know, because that's what we try to do when Jesus gets confused. We try to save him Uh, and he knows far be it from you Lord Jesus and, and the Lord Jesus rebukes him in the terms of spiritual warfare not in the terms of friendly correction Jesus says to him get thee behind me Satan thou art an offense unto me Peter meant it on the level of the social but Jesus saw that it had direct connection to the level of spiritual mission and spiritual purpose and so uh, here you have this moment where Jesus corrects wrecks Peter, but Peter still struggling with this. And uh, when Jesus actually goes to Jerusalem for the Passover, the the Bible tells us how the the disciples were kind of in awe of him. He had told them what was going to happen. And when he goes toward the city, they know he's not just talking about sacrifice. He's offering himself as a sacrifice. And that's astonishing to them. Uh, Not just preaching about it, but he's going to live it. Not just singing about it, he's going to live And he goes there. And they've been busy. Peter is sent in to to get a room for them to meet in. They meet for the Last Supper. Uh, They get after the Last Supper. There's some confusing things that happen. Uh, There seems to be a traitor among them. But the details are kind of sketchy. And uh, Jesus sends what the disciples think is an errand that that Judas is sent on. No, No one really knows what's going on. But they've been busy. They've been working hard. Six months of confusion. Six months of not knowing. Knowing what's going to happen six months of their leader telling them uh, he is leaving them uh, and they don't feel ready. Does that sound familiar? They don't feel ready. We're not ready. Don't do this. It's not time. But Jesus has his face set. And so here he is in Jerusalem and he leads them out to the garden of Gethsemane to do something they are used to him doing. Uh, that is him meeting them there and him praying. He is in the habit of praying there, and it seems to be they are in the habit of sleeping there. He's in the habit of praying in the place where olives are crushed for the oil that is inside of them. They are in the habit of resting there. And so when Jesus takes them there, it's only natural for their eyes to get a little bit heavy. How many of you have ever fallen asleep in a prayer meeting? If you haven't raised your, if you don't raise your hand, I know you haven't prayed much. That's all I had to say about that. if you didn't raise your hand, I, I made a mental note of everybody who didn't raise their hand. You know what I knew about you? Is you haven't prayed much. I promise you if you pray much in life, you will stink and fall asleep in the middle of your prayer. And it will be some of the most blessed sleep you ever get in your life. And you will wake up, it will feel like angels have been giving you foot rubs. And you'll be like, whoo, I just need to sleep more often. And so, now if you sleep while I'm preaching, you're lost and forever without hope. But if you fall asleep during the, the, the prayer meeting, then that's different. We'll kind of have some mercy here for you on that but I want you to see they, they their eyes are heavy and Jesus challenges them in a way he doesn't normally challenge them remember we read it they're in the habit of meeting there Jesus challenges them in such a way it makes it into the story can you wait with me can you watch with me can you pray with me for an hour but man it's hard when you're in such a habit of getting good rest and you know just how to lay your head on the old knotted arm of the olive tree and you're there and you're like bless them Jesus and they fall asleep so here's Peter's reality he's confused about what's going on he doesn't really understand it all he's anxious in his spirit because he knows bad things are happening but he doesn't know the details he is filled with fear because the one upon whom he depends is leaving secondly he's exhausted he hasn't been sleeping enough And thirdly, he's carnal. Or fourthly, he's carnal. He hasn't been praying enough. You can easily see the confusion when he is awakened by torches and soldiers. Who can blame him? The one whom he has devoted his life to is under threat. Judas greets Jesus with a kiss of betrayal. And Peter pulls the sword that he is carrying and he tries to attack the, the servant of the high priest Malchus. I want a real quick medal here so you can be mad at me later. It's always a better Sunday when somebody's mad at me. So I want to medal here a little bit. When you're frustrated and you lash out, you hurt people. There was no point in hurting. Malchus is the servant. Somebody say, Servant. Servant doesn't get up and say, I'm not going, send somebody else. They'll just get another servant. Malchus is not even armed, he's not a soldier or a guard. He's just a servant. He's just caught in the crossfire of Peter's rage. And when we're frustrated and we're tired and we're carnal and we try to fix things in our flesh, we not only are hopeless in our attempted violence, we hurt people there's no point in hurting. Malchus is wounded. Let me tell you, if you see, if you meet people and, and in talking, uh, they express some position of their heart which goes something like this. I am never going back to church again. If you talk to those people, they all have a story to tell about how they were wounded. They're not mad about church theology. They don't disagree with the gospel of grace. Somebody hurt them and they don't know how to dig their way out of their wounded condition. Yes, they have a responsibility to show mercy. Christ showed mercy to them. Yes, they should come back in the church. But woe be to the person who carelessly wounds a weak person. Because it would be better if a stone were tied about their neck and cast into the sea. I want you to see Peter's futility. He lashes out. It would have been better if he could have followed the advice of James. Let everyone be quick to listen. Can I have an amen? Slow to speak. Can I have an amen? Slow To anger. Can I have a big Amen? Amen. And James says, For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Preach it, brother. You just take your time. Just just take your time and just dwell there a little while. Build here three tabernacles. (laughs) All right, I will. Uh, I want you to to see that human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. I want to point out something here. The lesson here is it's not enough to do something. It matters how we do it. Peter, it's not enough to win. It matters how we win. If the manner of victory does not match the Purpose of the mission, then both are lost in the, resu- the, the resulting confusion. If the method of effort in ministry does not testify of the mission and gospel message, then both are lost in the confusion. True story there's been a lot of books written and movies made about somebody who they have to rob a bank or something in order to pay for somebody's uh, medical bills. I guess that tells you pretty much everything you need to know about. About the American healthcare system, uh, in that one of the most popular shows in American history is about a guy who cooks crystal meth to pay his medical bills. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving along. Uh, you know, if you declare bankruptcy in an elder life, there's a two thirds chance, I think it's two thirds chance it was over medical costs. So med- medicine's very expensive in America, but um, uh, here's the deal a uh, true story, not not a movie, not a fiction, not a novel. A uh, true story. Um, in the UK, there was a girl who she was from Australia. She got a lung heart lung transplant. Her father, halfway around the world in Melbourne, Australia, uh, he decided he would rob a local McDonald's to help pay for the surgery. So I have several thoughts here. First of all, um, McDonald's <laughs> I'll take a big Mac and cheese and it better have extra cheese, honey. <laughs> there ain't enough money in a McDonald's any moving along. I can't, um, anyway, so he's trying to do something good, but he does it the wrong way. The motive was right. The method was wrong. It's good to help. It's not good to rob the McDonald's in order to help. And besides, if you're going to rob, pick something that is more closer to a bank than a, uh, a hamburger stand. But that's just a note for your personal development later on in your life. Uh, the same thing is true. Um, evidently a true story. The, the, the famous turn of the century gangster, Mickey Cohen, when he heard the gospel, he was witnessed to by a Christian by the name of J Edwin, Orr. he was witnessed to, and, uh, he, he was, he liked the gospel message. The famous gangster liked the whole Mickey Cohen. Um, uh, he was the gangster. He liked the gospel message and, and he wanted to ask if he could be a Christian gangster. And, um, Edwin Orr said, no, you would have to give up this style of life. He said, well, I I, I don't want to do that. So he, uh, wanted to be a Christian gangster and was very unhappy when he could not be a a Christian uh, gangster, which is, (laughs) give me your money in Jesus' name. So I'm going to try that the next time we're raising an offering around here. I'm totally going to try that. I'm lining people up. Give me your money in Jesus' name. Um, the, The kingdom must be presented differently than the kingdoms of this world because the kingdom of heaven is not of this world. And so Jesus has all of these sayings that do not make sense for worldly kingdoms, but make perfect sense for the kingdom of heaven. If you want to save your life, you're going to have to be willing to lose it. Makes no sense down here, but makes perfect sense in heaven. Take up your cross, Jesus says, and follow me. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? If you want to be first in this kingdom, you should be the servant of all. Makes no sense on earthly kingdom building. Oh, but when you lift your eyes to the kingdom of heaven it makes perfect sense peter put your sword back in its place if you live by the sword you're gonna die by the sword peter let's talk about it you know a sword is just a tool sword a sword like any other tool it doesn't you can use a sword to protect sheep from wolves. It's just a tool. You can use a sword to protect the sweet against the oppressor. You can take your sword to a blacksmith shop and have them beat it into a plowshare. A sword is just a tool what are we trying to say here lord jesus what would you have us to know what would you have us to see uh, it matters it matters it matters how we win and when we use the tools of carnality to try to bring about the purpose of the spiritual we err and we make mistakes and so jesus says this to peter in verse number 53 look don't you realize that if swords were the answer and this is my paraphrase in the Nathaniel J. version. Uh, Don't you realize if swords were the answer, I could call my father in heaven and he would have uh, 12 legions of angels uh, at my disposal, 12 legions. That's 72,000 angelic beings who excel at violence. It's as though the Lord said, look, buddy, if violence was the answer, you should know I do violence better than you. I have not done this because there is no other way. I have done this because there is a right way. And so here Peter is confused. Whenever we try to bring about a spiritual result... From the efforts and desires of the flesh, we create frustration. Frustration is more effective at getting people to quit their dedication to God than than almost anything I know of. Because frustration attacks at whatever our level of dedication, at whatever our level of consecration, wherever you are in God, the frustration of the enemy is real and will attack you. And so you see, Peter... There is, in all of our lives, this reality. We can err on either side of two extremes. And I I want you to understand I'm giving you two extremes. In the first extreme, there is the person who says... They are trying to have God do it all. And so they come to the, the prayer closet and they make a list of things they want God to do. And um, that's the end of their efforts. As though everything were for God to do. The other extreme is the person who just tries but never prays. They, tr- they just try. They're always reading a self-help book. They're always making a list of what they ought to do. But they never pray about it. Here is the reality. I've, I've defined two extremes for you. On that extreme is we want God to do everything. On this extreme, we don't ask God to do anything. Over there, we want God to do everything. Over here, we don't ask God to do anything. And the truth is, we live in between these two realms. And we make the errors of these two realms. I'm going to give you some examples. Uh, As a pastor, I can fall into a, a, a habit of making my prayer my divine wish list. God, I will pray everybody on this front row gets the Holy Ghost today. And I come here 9 o'clock in the morning and I pray, Lord, I pray everybody here on this row gets the Holy Ghost. And I, you see, I'm making a wish list. I wish all you guys on the front row would get the Holy Ghost, but I know that's impossible. I'm just kidding. Y'all didn't laugh. You were supposed to laugh. I, I can make a wish list for God. Lord, I pray that everybody in the church house gets healed. Wouldn't that be awesome? I'm making a list of things for God to do. And when I'm done giving God a to-do list, I go home and feel complete because I prayed. If the only list you make in your prayer is a list of what God ought to do, you have missed the part of prayer where you listen to what God says to you. Somebody ought to say that's good preaching right there. You see, hear me today. Prayer is not simply us giving God a to-do list. God doesn't serve us. We serve God. And so after you've prayed your heart, God, I want to see people healed. Let me tell you, I have no control over that. That's a God thing. Lord, I want to see great revival in this city. I have no control over that. That's a God thing. And there's nothing wrong with me identifying my heart with his heart in prayer. But if I stop praying there and i go home and that's the end of the day i am missing the other part of the work and i have created for myself a place of spiritual frustration do you see there's what god can do and there's what i can do i'll give you an example of something uh, let's see. Let's, let's stay over here for a moment. Um, we want God to do everything over here. This is the extreme. And so we're saying we go pray about things that we should do. Lord, I pray that you'd restore my relationship with so-and-so. You know, they haven't spoke to me since. Okay. God's not the one who did them wrong, so have you apologized? Right. Now, you can pray all day long and explore all seven levels of spiritual frustration, but until you make it right, you're asking God to do something that you ought to do. Amen. Some of you guys are mad at me. Well, I don't know, telling people not to pray. My God, I just got to get out of this church for a second. Hear me today. The Bible tells you to quit praying when you have ought against someone else. The Bible says, leave your gift at the altar and go to the person you have wronged and tell them you're a sinner and you need mercy. And would they extend you mercy? Then, having made things right, come back to the altar. Spiritual frustration is when we give God things that are God's business as a task list not a surrender on the other hand over here is the frustration of holding on to something we think we can control when we never had control The only way, Peter, you're going to get through this frustration is to see the mistakes you're living through. First of all, you tried to do what you couldn't do. Attacking Malchus the servant makes no sense, but you did it. There was nothing you could do at this moment to stop the story of grace. In fact, the Bible said in Isaiah, it was the will of God to crush him, Peter. You can't stop grace. But over here in the courtyard of the high priest, you could have stood up for your faith. Now you see what Peter has done. He has created for himself a storm of spiritual frustration. He tries to do what he can't do, and then he refuses to do what he could do. And I'm reaching for everybody here today who has lived through spiritual frustration. I want you to have wisdom and understanding in your life. There are things you have no control over or you are letting them destroy your joy. I think I need to say that again. There are things you have no ability to affect and they are destroying your faith. You are living with despair over things you have no control over. Peter, you need to sheathe your sword and you need to give it to God. You couldn't fix it if you tried. It's not your sized problem. It's a God sized problem. And you need to identify the things in your life to leave at an altar and say, God, I can't do it. I'm giving this to you, but don't stop praying and don't stop worshiping after you've given what you can't do for God. Finish the prayer meeting and say, God, what can I do? Yeah. Because chances are, you may not have control, but you have influence. My God, I wish I could preach here today a little while. You may not have control, but you have influence. That's the point of the manner in which Jesus goes to the cross. He's showing us how to do it. And so, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. So often in our lives, we live by the efforts of our hand because we don't understand what we have in our hand. We think a sword will work when a sword will not work. And we think a testimony is useless when a testimony could be quite effective. And so, Peter... You have things you cannot control. You cannot, they are beyond you. You have to let God be God. But that doesn't mean you have nothing to do. That doesn't mean you have no influence to offer. That doesn't mean that you do not have a mission. That simply means you have to know the difference in what you can do and what God can do. And you have to commit to the divine partnership where God uses you. Our, I said this not at our prayer, prayer meeting yesterday in the morning. I told the people, I said, you know, it's not our job to feed 5,000. It's our job to give a lunch to God. Amen. You see, the five thousands. what he can do. The given lunch is what we can do. I have here uh, five loaves and two small fishes. I know it's not much. But this is my part. There's not going to be a miracle if I don't surrender lunch. That's my part. Here, take the loaves and fishes and see what you can do. Oh, I'm preaching to some people who have suffered with frustration so long. You have lost the joy of your salvation. You have lost the joy of the work of God. And what should have put dancing in your steps has put mourning in your heart. Because you've lived in frustration, you cannot in your current conversation carnality, perceive the difference in what God can do and what you can do. And because you can't make God do what you think he ought to do, you won't do what you think you ought to do. And you're stuck in this moment of frustration and you need the spirit of God to say to you, "Sheathe your sword. It's not about what you can do. Surrender to me what I can do. That's grace. Somebody say that's grace. I can't do but don't you think for a moment there's nothing for you to do And here we come to the end. Musicians come. Here we come to the end. Peter is backslidden. Peter is way outside, back in the old life. And Jesus shows up, and Jesus has a word for him. And Jesus doesn't point out the obvious to him, which he could have. Jesus could have said the obvious to him. Peter, why are you fishing for fish when I called you to be a fisher of men? He doesn't point that out to him. He simply cooks some breakfast. Because sometimes when you're very, very confused, you haven't been getting enough sleep, nor have you been getting enough prayer. So you're not just tired, you're carnal. And there is not too many more combinations difficult than the combination of tired and carnal. But anyway, enough about Brother Anthony. (laughs) Peter is back in the old life fishing. Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. I love you. I'm going to save, sanctify, go to heaven. I'm going to pray for me. I'm going to make my home and family saved. Feed my sheep. You mean there's something for me to do? Yes, it had nothing to do with swinging swords at people who weren't even the problem. Oh, y'all didn't just hear what I said. There is something for you to do, but it has nothing to do with swords. It's not going to feel like a sword. It's going to feel like caring for sheep let God do what God can do but don't you think for a minute there's not a work for you to do let's all stand oh Lord Jesus man I feel the presence of the Lord here man I feel the presence of the Lord here right now Frustration will keep you from mission. I want to say it again. I want you to give me a big amen when I say it. Frustration will keep you from mission. You got to lay it down. You got to identify what you can't do. And you've got to surrender that to God. And you've got to identify what you can do. Somebody say, help me, Lord. Lord. Identify what you can do. And you've got to surrender this part of the kingdom to God. And you have to invest this part of the kingdom with your life. So just by way of acknowledging where you are, I want us... Here today to pray for a great deliverance from frustration and a great desire and hunger to work in God's place and God's anointing. I I'm gonna invite you to step out of the chair you're in herein, right now. Our Jesus friends feel yes, free to come with us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name of you can confess today of something in your life that has produced tremendous frustration in you. How many of you want to confess here today? I'll be the first one. I'll be the first one to confess of serious frustration in some element. And I want you to do this with me in the, in the days to follow. I want you to identify it. I want you to confess it to the Lord. It's not enough to identify frustration. You need the power of confession in your life. Why? Confession will make it natural for you to pray about it. But if you don't confess, you won't pray about it. Come on. You know how you are. I know how I am. I need to confess it because that will make it natural for me to pray about it. So I make confession of my my life that's frustrating and hurting and harming. Having done that, having taken it to prayer, I am going to ask for wisdom. The Bible says, if you want wisdom, ask. I'm going to ask for wisdom. Lord, help me not to just see your side of this and help me not to just see my side of this, but help me to see that which I need to surrender to you and that which I need to do that fair? There's part of it I've got to leave with God and there's part of it I've got to make of a an action list an action list for me do you see? out of that will come two things that will solve at least temporarily because we have to pray through over it again but at least temporarily it's going to give you relief from your frustration number one That which you cannot fix, you surrender to the one who can. Amen. Number two, that which you can influence, you make a list and you get busy. Peter, you can't save the world. That's God's job. But you can feed some sheep. We've got to have both. As a church, every ministry, every effort, every service is that there's an element of what we can't do we give it to God. But then we don't go home and feel spiritual because we prayed and gave it that part to God. No, there's the part for us to do. I've given that to God and now I do what I can do. And somehow, out of this divine partnership of what God can do and what we can do, the kingdom of God is birthed in the earth. And the dominion of God is manifest here as testimony and worship unto God. And that's who we want to be in Jesus. Help me praise him right now. Huh? Oh, Lord Jesus, we bless your name. Oh, we bless your name. So we say how your name, we glorify you, we magnify you, we thank you for your goodness, amen, amen, amen. If anybody's here and you would like to continue in prayer or join with someone, our prayer team will be down here at the front, Uh, our ministry team will be down here, we want to pray with you, we want to serve you in any way we can. If you have never received the gift of the Holy Spirit, we want to talk to you about it, we want to get you started in that process of of believing and, and worshiping. God, repenting of your sins, yeah. being baptized, all of that. Also, if you're new around here, I'd love for you to come to First steps today. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.